And now for something completely different. If I may be so blunt, who gives a shit? I'm gonna go ask directions to our next huge embarrassing failure. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I'm going back to the cutting room floor. I've done this before, I'm doing it again, it's kind of like a late spring cleaning. If you're a long-time listener, you know that I've done these best-of episodes in the past. This is not a best-of episode, because the stories in today's episode are not from any previous episode. These are stories that I recorded as parts of other episodes over the years that I've been doing this, but for a variety of reasons, I just edited them out. Either they were too long, or they didn't quite fit what I was trying to say that episode, or I was running out of time trying to get the episode done. And so what I do is I pull a story out of an episode if it's too long or for whatever reason. But I save it, because of course these are pearls of wisdom. No, really, I save them for this very reason. They're stories that I want to tell, they just don't quite fit what I was doing at the time that I recorded them. So there's no particular theme this week. But these are stories that I recorded in various episodes over the past couple of seasons. I saved them and I'm pulling them out today so that I can share them with you. It also helps me organize my files a little bit. Oh my god, the unedited stories list is getting really long. So today, you get the benefit of those unedited stories, now edited and presented for your enjoyment. These stories cover a variety of topics. Essentially, anything that I've talked about the past couple of years, there's probably a story in my unedited files sitting there. And I'm just throwing a bunch of them together for you today. My thought when I initially started saving these stories is that I'd have enough of the stories saved for certain topics to make an actual topical episode. But that's not the case. I take a piece here, a piece there. Oh, look, here's something about driving. Oh, look, here's something about growing older. Oh, look, here's something about the flood we had in early 2021. You probably don't see the overriding theme between those stories. Yeah, I don't either. So I've got them. And now I'm sharing them with you. So here you go. Some stuff from the cutting room floor. The Chopper or Easy Rider Bicycle. Those were the coolest bicycles and only people of a certain age remember them. Nowadays, with everybody with the trail bikes and the racing bikes, bikes all look the same. Two equal sized wheels if it's a racing bike, very thin tires. If it's a mountain bike, very thick and rugged looking tires. But boy, the bike to have when I was growing up was the Chopper. Oh man, the chopper was so cool. It had a big rear wheel and a little tiny front wheel. The really cool kids had an extended fork on it. Like that fork was two or three feet long. So the front wheel was way out in front of you. It sucked for braking purposes because the cable was too long to use on the front brakes. You never really got good brake traction on the front brakes on those really extended forks. But I had a Schwinn chopper. The fork was just the right size. You actually had some braking power on the front brakes. And it was cool, man. It was a five-speed, and instead of having the shifter up on your thumb like you do on a racing bike or on the post where some of the racing bikes have it too, it had like a gear shift right on that crossbar, and the gear shift had a one, two, three, four, and five on it. So you knew you had a five-speed. And when I say gear shift, it really looked like the shifter from a car. Oh man, it was the coolest. I loved that thing. That was such an awesome bike to ride around on, and I remember getting it secondhand Some kid was selling it. We couldn't afford first-hand. We couldn't afford second-hand. This was probably third-hand. But I saved up my allowance money. I saved up my chore money. I had to come up with 35 bucks for this bike. And I did. I did. 
It's also the bike that was featured in the previous episode of the podcast where I went sliding down the street in the gravel after I was racing downhill against my friend who was riding a racing bike. The Chopper was a great, fun bike, looked cool, not a racing bike. But I love that bike. But it's one of those forgotten things. People don't remember the Choppers. Here's what you do. Go to Google, Google Schwinn Chopper. See what you come up with. See if you don't think that's a cool bike. When I was a kid, there was a guy named Dick Clark. And you see the same guy's name on the celebration these days. It's Ryan Seacrest hosting Dick Clark's New Year's Rocking Eve. You may not know or may not remember that Dick Clark was a big rock and roll producer type back in the 50s and the 60s. He started with a show called American Bandstand, which was a national dance type show. If you've ever seen the movie Grease, there's a takeoff of that show in that movie. But Dick Clark is one of the guys who pioneered that type of show. And he parlayed that into a music career, a music producing career, I should say, and a TV producing career. And one year, I want to say the late 60s, early 70s, they had Dick Clark start hosting New Year's Rockin' Eve. And this was a big thing. Because before that, I think it was CBS that had Guy Lombardo, who was one of those big band leaders from the 30s and the 40s. Guy Lombardo and his big band would play music and they'd show people at a dance hall, club, auditorium, whatever it was. They'd all be dining and dancing and Guy Lombardo would be playing his big band music and that would be the show. I don't actually ever remember watching it. I remember my parents talking about it. And I also remember my parents talking about how much better that was than Dick Clark's Rockin' Eve. Actually, it was Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. Because the last thing my dad wanted to put up with was rock and roll on New Year's. That's not New Year's. So Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve was groundbreaking when he started it back in the late 60s, early 70s, whenever it was. And he did that every year until he could no longer do it. And then after he died, Ryan Seacrest inherited the show, basically. So Ryan Seacrest is now hosting the show that Dick Clark pioneered. You don't find Guy Lombardo anymore. The other networks host their own shows with various hosts and guests and so on. But we always watch Dick Clark's, now Ryan Seacrest's, New Year's Rockin' Eve, I guess because that's my tradition. So that's where we watch the ball drop. And of course, we do the countdown just before midnight. We wait for the ball to drop. We have our midnight kiss and we kiss in the new year. Back in the days before there were cell phones, it was phone calls to relatives. Happy New Year. Calling my aunt, my grandma, my cousins, wishing everybody a happy new year. Nowadays, it's texts. Everybody gets a text. If they're not with us, they get a text. But you got to greet the new year that way because that's what you do. Make sure everybody knows. Happy New Year. I got my plumber on the phone, who's an ace of a guy. He's come at the drop of a hat when I've needed him. He's given me good advice over the phone without ever asking for payment. He's just a good, all-around, super helpful, super friendly dude. And he said he'd try to rearrange his schedule. He gave me the name of a company called Power Dry. And they both came to the house that day. That very day they came to the house. The plumber replaced the sump pump. The Power Dry people told me what needed to be done. And then I had to weigh the costs versus the risks of not having the power drying done. The power drying experience is a great experience if you can afford it. And if you don't mind working your ass off putting the house back together after they're done. Because what they do is they take everything. Everything. Bookshelves, desks, TV stands, crates, bins, whatever you have. After they pump all of the water out and they have a giant truck that does that. 
After they pump all the water out, they literally lift everything off the floor with styrofoam lifters. They have a little jack-type device that lifts up everything. They move it to the center of the floor so that there's nothing touching the floor. Then they bring in about two dozen high-powered fans, a couple of dehumidifiers, an air filtration system. They plug it all in, and they say, you need to let this run for 72 hours. I'm sure my electric bill is going to be through the roof. And if you watched me stream during that week, you heard the noise in the background. That's not the noise like it was in the house. The noise in the house was like living inside a jet engine. But let me tell you, after 72 hours, that basement was bone dry. It was pretty amazing what they did. It was like walking into the Sahara, going down into that basement with all that equipment going. So all of the big stuff got dried out. The wall got dried out. I mean, they had a little tool that they used where they would inject hot air into the sheetrock to dry it off. They said because it hadn't been sitting there for days, it was salvageable because we got on it right away. So they have this hose where these little injector needles go into the sheetrock because they don't want to ruin the sheetrock. But the injector needles go into the sheetrock. They dry out the sheetrock and the area between where the sheetrock is and the concrete foundation. It dries between the walls. It's really sophisticated stuff, and I was quite impressed with it. I mean, it's a pain in the ass, but at least they dried everything out. The hardest part is the recovery. I have decades worth of vinyl. I have decades worth of books. I have books from my parents that they got from their parents. Some of them are really big, oversized books, and they were on the bottom shelves. Why? Because they're heavy and big. And what happened is, a lot of those books got damaged. And because they're so old, they weren't recoverable. I kept my high school yearbooks on the bottom shelf. Why? Big, heavy books. My high school yearbook, my middle school yearbook, I'm still trying to dry them out. The vinyl collection, we're almost two weeks later, and I'm still trying to dry out records and books. Most of the stuff that was unsalvageable I've gotten rid of. And that's kind of heartbreaking. Something you've held on to for 20, 30 years, having to get rid of it, kind of breaks your heart a little. I had put a scrapbook together something like 20 years ago. And it was a scrapbook of newspaper clippings, comics, articles, jokes, things that were topical for the time. But it had meant so much to me that I put it into a scrapbook so I wouldn't lose it. It was one of those loose-leaf scrapbooks. You could pull the pages out one by one. So I was able to salvage a couple of the pages, but 90, 95% of that, garbage. Completely unsalvageable. That's the hardest part, is losing stuff that you've held on to for so long. And speaking of the cafeterias up and down the highways, there were a few restaurants that disappeared. They were basically the roadside stands. They were fixtures on America's highways. I've mentioned them before, Howard Johnson's, Stuckey's. These were kind of like diners slash fast food restaurants that you could pull into off the highway and grab a relatively quick meal. With Howard Johnson's, sometimes they were associated with a hotel and you could grab a room there as well. They also had 27, 28 ice cream flavors. I'm trying to remember exactly how many. But if you didn't want a full meal at Howard Johnson's, you could at least get an ice cream cone, get the kids to shut up in the back for another 200 miles. So Howard Johnson's was good for that. Stuckey's was famous for their pecan rolls or pecan rolls, however you'd like to say it. Pecan rolls are like cinnamon buns, basically with pecans in them. And everybody loved Stuckey's pecan buns, except my dad who couldn't eat nuts. So we never got a pecan roll. But I got to look at them. But Stuckey's was another quick in and out. You could gas up the car, grab a snack, and get on the road again. But Howard Johnson's and Stuckey's, they're gone now. 
The other thing we had often in the kitchen, but not necessarily only in the kitchen, was the giant fan. The kitchen would get hot, we'd have to cool the house off. I talked about the attic fan that would create circulation in the house. That was part of the Home Improvement Podcast. If you missed that one, you can check that story out. But we did have this giant attic fan that would ventilate the entire house. But we also had this huge box fan that we would use everywhere in the house just to cool the place off. Now, when I say box fan, you're probably thinking about that little 19-inch box fan you can get at Walmart for 20 bucks. You put that on the floor, generates a little bit of a breeze. When I was a kid, those box fans were much bigger and much heavier. And most everybody seemed to have one. That's because, as I've mentioned before, air conditioning was not the standard. Central air was definitely not the standard. Most people would throw in one of those oscillating fans or one of those box fans. That's how you kept the house cool. But my dad, somewhere along the line, found this huge fan. When I say huge, I mean, it didn't compare to the attic fan. The attic fan, as I described in the home improvement episode, was about five feet across. But this box fan that my dad found had to be three feet across, 36 inches. It was in a metal box, just like all box fans are, but this metal box was mounted in a frame, and the frame had wheels. And then on top of the frame, there was also a shelf. So you could wheel that fan from room to room. Not only could you, you actually had to. It was too damn heavy to carry. This is back in the day before lightweight plastics were the standard. Everything on this airplane propeller of a fan was metal. The blade, the motor, the screen, the frame, the shelf. Thing had to weigh 60, 70 pounds. That's why it needed wheels. Now, I don't know if my dad paid bust-out retail for this. Knowing him and how cool he liked to be, I could imagine him paying bust-out retail for it. But more than likely, he found it at an auction or garage sale. But regardless of where he found it, that was a fixture in my life. I remember that fan vividly. Now, other families, as I said, they had fans, but they didn't have this fan. This fan, you'd have to get clearance to start up. You'd have to go to the tower, make sure there were no other planes taking off. That's what it sounded like, a plane starting up. You put that thing on high, it would blow you into the middle of next week. It was a powerful fan. So if you combine that fan with the attic fan that they had installed, you could get a nice wind blowing in the house. No lie, that's how my dad stayed cool. But whether you're talking about a box fan or an oscillating fan, you know, the ones that go back and forth and kind of blow a little air on you, fans are not the standard that they used to be. They're not as popular as they used to be. They're not as prevalent as they used to be because central air is the thing now. Everybody has central air. New houses have it, and if you don't have a new house, window air conditioners are cheap enough you can actually go get one. But when I was growing up, the default was not air conditioning, it was the fan. When I was a kid, my mom made us liverwurst sandwiches, mostly because it was cheap. Between bologna and liverwurst and peanut butter and jelly, that was basically my school lunch program. And we ate liverwurst because, well, that's what there was. Mom made a liverwurst sandwich. If you wanted to eat, you ate a liverwurst sandwich. There weren't any options. Mom made the sandwich. If you were hungry, you ate it. You can still find liverwurst in the stores, and I'm sure people still do eat it. But I can't remember the last time that I ever saw anybody actually eat liverwurst. But it was a fixture when I was growing up. Another weird thing, chopped chicken liver. My mom loved to make chopped chicken liver. Again, I don't know why. She made it in a way that was tasty at the time. She would boil up the chicken livers. I don't know where she got them. I haven't gone shopping for chicken liver myself, so I don't know if you can buy chicken liver by itself. I assume you can. But she would cook up chicken liver. She would boil it. 
and she'd make hard-boiled eggs and peel them and chop them up, and she'd chop up the chicken liver, and she'd mix it all together with some mayonnaise. Actually, Miracle Whip, we didn't have mayonnaise, we had Miracle Whip. That's another weird thing. But she would make hard-boiled eggs, chopped up chicken liver, and Miracle Whip, and that would be an appetizer for our holiday meals. I don't think I've had chopped chicken liver in decades. But it was a fixture when I was growing up. It was the thing that we did for appetizers. If it was a holiday meal, if company was coming, mom made chopped chicken liver. And I ate it. I loved it. I thought it was great at the time. But I guess that's the key word, at the time. Now, get me some salsa. Get me some guacamole. I'll have some hummus, please. It's okay. You can keep the chopped chicken liver. Another weird thing that my mother made, tuna salad with curry powder. She had it once when she was out at a party. Somebody had made a dip or a spread or something. I don't know what it was because I wasn't there. But mom loved tuna fish with curry powder in it. And so after that party, mom never made tuna fish without curry powder. It wasn't until I moved out of the house that I remembered what regular tuna fish tasted like. It was good. Don't get me wrong. I liked it. But for me, just some tuna and mayo is fine. One of the other things to remember is this. There is never going to be that moment, that aha moment, when you go, I'm a grown-up now. Everything's fine. I've got it all figured out. Being a grown-up, being an adult, there's no particular age that that happens. And being a grown-up isn't a thing, really. You get to a certain age and you can still be a surfer, a streamer, a writer, a kayaker, a hiker, a voiceover artist. You can do anything you want, no matter what your age is. But just because you get to a certain age doesn't mean, aha, now I'm a grown-up. As you get older, you assume the responsibilities of an adult-type person. You have the regular job, you pay your bills, you raise your kids, you take care of your family. You do all the things that you're responsible for, for sure. But nobody hands you a manual at 40 and goes, here you go, you've made it. Let me pin this badge to your chest. You'll find all the instructions on page 17 that you'll need for handling mortgage payments and retired parents. The dirty little secret about being a grown-up is this. We all make it up as we go along. No matter what it is, we're all making it up as we go along. Nobody has it all figured out. And those that claim that they do, they're lying to you. What we do as adults is we make reasoned decisions based on our life experiences and the advice we get from the people we trust. And even then we're still making it up. And you know what? That's okay. It's perfectly okay. Because that's what life is all about. It's getting through your days, making decisions, enjoying what you can enjoy, spending time with people you care about, and getting the most out of your existence on this rock hurtling through space. Because that's what we are. We're a bunch of organisms on a rock hurtling through space. And in the big scheme of things, we should probably be enjoying our limited time here. Make the most of your time to enjoy yourself here, because this is all we've got. So, there was some pretty good stuff on the cutting room floor, huh? When I go through the stories that I've edited, it always surprises me some of the stuff that I chose to leave out of episodes, because I usually remember which episode I took it out of, and then I go... Why did I take that out? That was pretty good. And that's the way I feel about all of the stories that I featured this week. 
The reality is I always try to keep the episodes between 20 and 25 minutes. That seems to be the sweet spot for a good podcast, at least in my opinion. I know other podcasts go on for an hour, some go an hour and a half, but they have a different format. Some are interviews, some are analysis of a particular topic, and some of those topics deserve an hour, an hour and a half. But I like this time frame. It works for me. It seems to work for you. And I appreciate you listening to these stories and all of the stories that I tell. And that's why I keep telling them. So I want to thank you for listening to all of them. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Leftovers from the Cutting Room Floor. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these and all of the stories. I can't thank you enough for all the support you give me and all the time you spend listening. And there are not enough words for me to express my appreciation just for the fact that you take the time to do so. Thank you, as always, for your support. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.